But enough of this. I will begin my tale. It is my last task, and I hope I have strength sufficient to fulfil it. I record no crimes. My faults may easily be pardoned, for they proceeded not from evil motive, but from want of judgment, and I believe few would say that they could, by a different conduct and superior wisdom, have avoided the misfortunes to which I am the victim. My fate has been governed by necessity, a hideous necessity. It required hands stronger than mine, stronger, I do believe, than any human force, to break the thick, adamantine chain that has bound me, once breathing nothing but joy, ever possessed by a warm love and delight in goodness, to misery, only to be ended, and now about to be ended, in death. But I forget myself, my tale is yet untold. I will pause a few moments, wipe my dim eyes, and endeavour to lose the present obscure but heavy feeling of unhappiness in the more acute emotions of the past. I was born in England. My father was a man of rank. He had lost his father early, and was educated by a weak mother, with all the indulgence she thought due to a nobleman of wealth. He was sent to Eton, and afterwards to college, and allowed from childhood the free use of large sums of money thus enjoying from his earliest youth the independence which a boy with these advantages always acquires at a public school. Under the influence of these circumstances, his passions found a deep soil, wherein they might strike their roots and flourish, either as flowers or weeds, as was their nature. By being always allowed to act for himself, his character became strongly and early marked, and exhibited a various surface, on which a quick-sighted observer might see the seeds of virtues and of misfortunes. His careless extravagance, which made him squander immense sums of money to satisfy passing whims, which from their apparent energy he dignified with the name of passions, often displayed itself in unbounded generosity. Yet while he earnestly occupied himself about the wants of others, his own desires were gratified to their fullest extent. He gave his money, but none of his own wishes were sacrificed to his gifts. He gave his time, which he did not value, and his affections, which he was happy in any manner to have called into action. I do not say that if his own desires had been put in competition with those of others, that he would have displayed undue selfishness. But this trial was never made. He was nurtured in prosperity, and attended by all its advantages. Every one loved him, and wished to gratify him. He was ever employed in promoting the pleasures of his companions, but their pleasures were his, and if he bestowed more attention upon the feelings of others than is usual with schoolboys, it was because his social temper could never enjoy itself if every brow was not as free from care as his own. While at school, emulation, and his own natural abilities, made him hold a conspicuous rank in the forms among his equals. At college he discarded books. He believed that he had other lessons to learn than those which they could teach him. He was now to enter into life, and he was still young enough to consider study as a schoolboy shackle, employed merely to keep the unruly out of mischief, 
but as having no real connection with life, whose wisdom of riding, gaming, etc., he considered with far deeper interest. So he quickly entered into all college follies, although his heart was too well moulded to be contaminated by them. It might be light, but it was never cold. He was a sincere and sympathising friend, but he had met with none whose superior or equal to himself could aid him in unfolding his mind, or make him seek for fresh stores of thought by exhausting the old ones. He felt himself superior in quickness of judgment to those around him. His talents, his rank, and wealth made him the chief of his party, and in that station he rested, not only contented, but glorying, conceiving it to be the only ambition worthy for him to aim at in the world. By a strange narrowness of ideas, he viewed